Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. We are continuing our journey through the book of James today, and we're in James chapter 5. And as, 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 a, as a means of, of introduction to that, I just want to share a couple of things that God laid on my heart that I believe is for our, our body of believers here, our family, right? So God shared with me these things. These are things that God pointed out in my life that I need to be aware of, and I believe that they will encourage you as well. And so as we go through James, uh, what I tend to do is make checklists. Who else, who else here is a list person, right? We've talked a lot about things that we should do and shouldn't do in the book of James, right? And what I tend to do is make lists, but God was sharing with me that that's not what this is, Josh. This is, these are litmus tests for areas in your life where you have yet to surrender to Jesus. These are, these are tests. If you, if you have these things in your life, and today we're specific, specifically talking about taking oaths or being truthful with what we say. And so if this, if this convicts you today, don't, don't just add it to your list of things to do because that list gets rather long. It's a lot to remember. What you do is you take that to your prayer closet. You take that to the Lord and say, God, I felt your conviction. Holy Spirit, I felt your conviction to this. I, I can't fix it. I can't do it in my own strength. Will you help me? I surrender this. I surrender my heart. I surrender my mouth. I surrender my actions to you, King Jesus. And so that's what the Lord shared with me about as we go through James. Because it's a hard book, correct? Like there's been some hard truths and some hard correction that I've had to have in my life. But my hope for this message is one, is, it's one of encouragement to know Jesus, to know Christ and his goodness through the study of his word. And that we would take that word. And now we apply it to our lives. We apply it to our lives. We go to the closet, and we, we, we ask the Lord for His plan for our lives, and we apply His Word to our lives. And so today we are talking about abstaining from taking oaths. And we've, we haven't mentioned this in a while, uh, so I want to reiterate it. I haven't heard it in the past couple weeks, but these are commands. As James writes, and today this is a command as well, that means it's an imperative. It's, it's not something we can choose to do. I'd be like, oh, well, that's for those higher level Christians, right? No, that's, that's not what this is. This is a command to each one of us who say we follow Jesus. I just wanted to put that out there as a, as a reminder. These are our standing orders, if you will. That these, This is how today specifically, this one specific topic, is the how we do the Great Commission, right? We've all been called to what? To make disciples, to go forth in all the nations and make disciples. That is, that is our great commission found in Matthew 28, correct? That's, that's what should define each one of our lives. Well, today we're talking about just a little aspect of the how we do that, the how we accomplish that mission. And by seeking to live this righteous life that we're being called to, spirit-led, righteous life, we will fulfill that great commission at the grocery store. We will fulfill that great commission in our workplace. We will fulfill that great commission on the streets of Clarksville, wherever that is that God has put a sphere of influence. All of us have people that we influence in our lives, that God is going to bring across our path that need to know who Jesus is. And my question is, if you're introducing Jesus to them, what Jesus are you introducing to them? Do they know that the words that are coming out of your mouth are truthful? Do they believe what you say because they know you to be a truthful person? Some of these, some of us have some hard jobs it almost would seem impossible. We work at a workplace that is surrounded by either atheists or even harder cultural Christians who say, who think they're saved, 
but then their lives don't add, add up to it, right? They don't line up with what they're saying. And so we're, we're here to, to lead them to Jesus in a real and meaningful way, and that is our, our mission, our great commission, if you will. So if you're serious about doing that, if you're serious about being close to God, listen up, because this, this message here is for you today. I talked about this a couple months ago that we are meant to lead a trail, leave a trail of righteousness in our path. And we, we talked about as we go through life, we should be able to turn around and see that we have influenced people for righteousness' sake. Now, that's not on me. That's not, don't, that doesn't bring me glory. Ultimately, what I'm doing is bringing Jesus glory, right? It's not me, the goodness in me, because there is no goodness in me. That's me pointing back to Jesus and leaving a trail of Jesus in my life, a trail of righteousness. Um, I'm hearing it in my head. The, the tesid canoe is the word in Hebrew. Um, it's, it's, it's the canoe of righteousness. And if that helps you remember it, great. If not, spit it out. So one of the things that God convicted me of this week as I was meditating on this and thinking through this passage. I was like, God, what do you, what do you want me to teach your people? And this has been my question all year, really. And I keep hearing it over and over again. It's teach them how to pray. I want my people to pray and be a prayerful people. I want us as Awakened Church to be a prayerful church. One hallmarked, one, one known as, as, as a truthful church and one that prays. And as I was actually at a baseball game past week, uh, at my son's baseball game, I realized I knew at that baseball game I was, I was comfortable. I knew where to go get the food. I knew... When to stand up and cheer, when to boo, when to tell the umpire he was blind, when, when to do all these things, I was very comfortable in that setting. And God spoke to me right then as I was there having a good time. Um, and not, it's not a bad thing to go to a ball game, let me just say that. But it, it, was, it was God speaking to me. He said, are you as comfortable in your prayer closet as you are right here? See, the problem is we have a lot of Christians that are more comfortable at a baseball game or a football game than they are in their prayer closet. When you get to your prayer closet, you don't know what to do. Around and pray, you're not comfortable in there. But God is calling us to a place where we all individually go to our quiet place. It doesn't have to be a closet, but a quiet place and reach out with our hearts, bow our hearts to the good and righteous King and say, I need you. I need more of you today. I need that peace. I need that joy that only comes from knowing Jesus. I need your presence, Lord. And so today, keep that in mind as we talk about taking oaths and being truthful with our mouths. And and, in all seriousness, what we can do is we can, too often we can say, well, I don't pray enough because, man, I've just been attacked. It's the enemy. It's Satan. It's Satan's fault. And again, that is a very worldly definition of how to deal with your problems. That is, that is the way the world has a victim mentality, and they tout this. You can see this everywhere. Everybody's a victim, right? Nobody wants to take personal responsibility. No, that's my fault. It's my fault I'm more comfortable at a baseball game than I am in my prayer closet. Amen? So I'm owning that. So we own that mess. But here's the good news. I don't, I don't have to hold on to it. Once I own it and repent of it, now I just give it right to Jesus because it doesn't belong to me. He already paid the price for that sin. When I, when I miss the mark, which is often, when I don't line up, which is often, I can now give that mess. As long as I own it and repent, I can now grow. And, and, and that is, that's discipline. And that, we're going to talk more about that today as well. But as we jump in, I just want a, a quick reminder. Uh, Nate, Pastor Nate talked last week about the parousia, the visible return of King Jesus. 
that being our motivator, that being what's foremost on our minds to allow us to walk these truths out in our lives, to allow the, the Word of God to be played out in our lives, we need to keep this hopeful expectation, this attitude of hopeful expectation of Jesus' return. And it's, it's imminent. It's coming. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe this minute. But we keep that in our mind to remind us and keep us on the right path. This attitude of hopeful expectation leads us to a victorious and peaceful life. So with that, let's open up our Bibles to James chapter 5. Now I'm going to read um, what we already read last week uh, because we are talking about taking oaths, but it lines, it's directly in context with being patient in suffering. Being patient in suffering. And you'll see how it lines up uh, towards the end of the message. But the, the point is, is that we need to understand that all this is God is calling us to patience. Count how many times James says patient in the next few verses. Starting in verse 7. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also, be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. I love that passage. Establish in your hearts. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another. Brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Verse 12, here's our passage for today. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Will you bow your hearts with me? Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this morning and each person that you brought here, Lord. I ask that you would speak through me, Holy Spirit. Lead us in your paths. Lead us in your ways, Lord. And when you discipline us, give us the, the right attitude to say, all right, Lord, what are you teaching me here? Lord, let us be a church that's different, that's marked by truthfulness, that's not marked by prayer. I trust that you're working all, good, all things out for the good of your church. And we're willing to suffer for it. I ask that you would give us patience in that suffering. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we'll start off light. Right here at the beginning it says, it says, but above all, my brothers. And this, this phrase here, proponte is, is the Greek, uh, but above all. Um, it could have been an idiomatic phrase that kind of like, let's wrap this up, right? Or uh, another thing it was common, commonly used as. Or it could have been that James found this the most important thing in this section of, of his letter. Could have been. Either way, it doesn't matter. It's a command, right? So it's a command from King Jesus as well. We, we find this same wording, this same encouragement, this same exhortation found in Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to discuss that a little, a little bit later. So as we do talk about uh, m- taking oaths, making oaths and, and uh, being truthful with our language... Well, I'm going to have three key takeaways today, three key takeaways that should help us put all this together, or at least let us know as a roadmap where we're at in the discussion today. The first one is taking oaths comes from a place of pride. Taking oaths is actually very prideful. It says, do not swear either by heaven or by earth. And this right here, as James 
points to this. This is a common practice of the people of the time. James would have been in their gatherings. He would have seen holy men, you know, priests, rabbis. Um, everybody would have been, when, as they're talking to each other, they're swearing by heaven or they're swearing by, by earth that they're going to accomplish this obligation. Maybe they might even know in their hearts that they can't do it, but they know if they just swear to the earth or they swear to heaven, swear to heaven without the mention of God's name, they're not really bound to it. So it's really meaningless. It's, it's worthless speech. It's not edifying. Ephesians 4 comes to mind, right? The, the, our speech should be edifying, imparting grace upon the hearer at all times. And it doesn't, this doesn't line up. And what James was seeing was Christians, followers of Jesus, who were supposed to be different than the Jews. They're supposed to be set apart. They have the fulfillment of God's covenant, right? Their Messiah had come, but they're still speaking just like everybody else. They're taking these oaths just like everybody else. And it, and it probably irked James. It, it definitely, uh, he, he felt conviction about it, Holy Spirit conviction. And so he decided to include it. But when we swear that we could take we can move heaven and earth. What are we doing? We're saying, I am going to do this no matter what in my own strength. And I'm strong enough to do it. You see that? See that self-reliance in there? That's real dangerous because it comes from a place of pride. The Christian walk is supposed to be different. Daily I'm learning to be more reliant on Jesus, be more reliant on the Holy Spirit for his words, for being up here right now. I'm really nervous. But God is giving me the peace, right? God gives us what we need in that time. If, if we're walking with him and talking with him, he gives us that encouragement. He teaches us how to encourage ourselves in the Lord. But doing the opposite, saying, I can do this. Uh, you know, I think in our day, it's, it's similar to, uh, we used to, I don't know, when I grew up, it was, I swear on my mom's, man. Y'all remember that? I swear on my mom's. No? Too, no? Okay. Maybe it was a Texas thing. But we used to swear on our mom. Man, that was horrible, horrible thing to do. But, uh, it's the same kind of, uh, it's in the same vein, the same attitude that, that we can do something. And we need you to, I need you to believe me. So I'm going to say more words. But what James is telling us and what Jesus ultimately tells us is just let your yes be yes. And be known as a truthful person. If you're going to say yes, do it. Fulfill that obligation. Fulfill that obligation. Don't promise to do more than you can. But as long as, at the time, as long as they didn't mention God or didn't mention the Lord of heaven, they were okay. Because they could, they honestly, they could, out, they could promise to do something. And in their minds, they already know, well, I've got an out. If I can't do it, if I can't do this, then I'm good. I didn't say God's name, so I don't have to do this. And that's what James is really uh, railing on here. Um, but Jesus addresses this issue as well, as I mentioned. So if you want to, turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Starting in verse 33, I'm going to read down to 37. It says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. Remember, this is Jesus speaking. I mean, the Bible should have authority in our lives, period. But I don't know, there's just something about when the words are, my words aren't in red. But when they are in red, when it's Jesus speaking, it just, listen up, right? So this is, this is our king. This is our savior. This is our commander. This is who we live our life for. He said, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Verse 34 says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, 
or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of a great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. I've been trying, I've been praying for years, God, just quit letting my hair get white, right? It's not working, it just keeps turning white. I, I like to say I'm looking more and my, more like my Savior every day, right? Because in Revelation, he has white hair, sorry. Bad Bible joke. <clears throat> Nerd. <laughs> right. He says, let, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, that's, that's your Savior. That's your King. That's your Commander who you give your life to. You have pledged loyalty to King Jesus. He's telling you, let your yes be yes. And anything more than that comes from evil. Now, James says you fall under condemnation. We're going to talk about that a little bit more here in a minute. But what I want to bring out right now is that this, this, between Matthew 5 and what James writes, what this should, should do is bring us to a place of humility. Humble before our king, we must recognize that we're not in control. I can't promise you anything other than my yes be yes and my no be no. I'm going to, I'm going to promise you, I'm going to say yes or I'm going to say no. And whatever else, God's going to work out. Lord willing, right? And, and uh I've, I've traveled a lot in the Middle East, and uh, some of you guys will, will get this. There's, there's, a, there's a whole idea. They say, inshallah, which means if God wills it in Arabic. It's this inshallah attitude, I, I think there's some goodness. At least it started as goodness. It just, it's, it's saying, you know, I'm going to do that if God wills it. But realistically, those of you who traveled overseas and have worked with those people that say that, that doesn't mean I'm going to do it at all. When they say inshallah, that means I'm not doing that. <laughs> I don't have time for that. Um, which is the same vein, really, what James is speaking about here. This inshallah thing uh, was a big deal in Arab culture. And um, I think it kind of gets the same root from what James was rallying against. And we have the same thing, right? We, we at times, and I'm convicted myself, at times I will promise to do things. Because I want to. I mean, I look around in this room. I see lots of faces that I know. And I'm getting to know a few of you more and more every day. But I'm seeing... I'm seeing family, and so you, you know my heart. You know I love this church. I love the people of this church. And so sometimes I, I, I say a little bit more than I can actually perform. I, I agree to do things that I should have never agreed to because I don't have the bandwidth, or I don't have the time. But I didn't think that through, and I didn't take that to my, my prayer closet. What I should say, if, it, if, I, if somebody asked me to do something, I should say, let me pray on that. I'll see if I, I can do that. Let me get back to you. Or... Just simply say no. But why don't we say no? When a boss asks you at work to do something, why don't you say no? And you know you can't do it. You know you're not going to be able to do what you're doing right now, adding this additional duty onto your plate. There's no way you're going to do both well with excellence. Why don't we say no? Because of fear. Because of fear. We don't say no because we are afraid. And... uh We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But I, right now, I want, I want to get us back to not taking oaths shows our trust in the Lord. And that's our second point. Not taking oaths shows our trust in the Lord. By abstaining from oaths, what we're doing now is we're taking that, that, that language that we had, and we're being very thoughtful of it. We're being patient in suffering. When a boss asks me to do something, I'm suffering, right? Ugh, it's just a, it's a self-imposed suffering, but I'm suffering nonetheless, right? And so what we're doing here is, is we're showing, when we say no, or when we say I'll pray on it, 
what we're doing is we're saying we trust the Lord, and we're trusting the Lord with our life, and we're being honest with one another. But the truth is, a lot of times we assume that we can control the outcome. Taking those really comes from a lack of faith in God. It's manipulative. Sometimes it, it, we, we're using it to manipulate the person in front of us. It's, it's cunning sometimes. That's what it was. The, those times they would be cunning because they would say yes, and they would swear on heaven or they would swear on earth. But knowing in the back of their minds, they really didn't have to do that. If they didn't do it, not a big deal, right? But the point is this. We need to be people that do what we say and say what we do and repent when we don't. Listen to that last part. Repent when we don't. Don't justify. Well, uh, no, just say, you know what? I told you I was going to do this. I was wrong. I'm sorry. And then we go to God and we take it to God and we say, God, will you help me be more thoughtful in my speech? Help me be more patient, patient in my suffering, in that prayer closet. That's what we need to be doing. And ultimately, it's not done when we take an oath. It's not done in faith. And so the word tells us anything not done in faith is what? I'm sorry, I'm used to an interactive crowd. Anything not done is what? Anything not done in faith is sin. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. <laughs> but look at what the rest of our verse it says. Or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. This means we need to be thoughtful of our obligations. But it brings me to a question. All right, in our culture today, we have certain times where we take oaths, don't we? What about if you get called to jury duty tomorrow? You know that you're going to have to stand before that courtroom and put your hand on the Bible, raise your right hand, I swear to say truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God, right? That's an oath. How about getting married? We say some pretty lengthy marriage vows sometimes. How about this? This is a military town. It wasn't too long ago that I raised my right hand. I said, I, I swear to protect against what? All enemies, foreign and domestic, right? That's an oath. Are we, are we, are we to exclude ourselves from that? Let it sink in for a minute because this is a tough question. Let me just say this. If this is where I'm going to tell you where I land on this, and I'm going to use God's word to show you how I land here. But if you land on the other side, so be it. I, I want to take this moment to teach you a principle called theological triage. We're a family here. We're not going to agree on everything, every interpretation out of this, this book. There are things in here that men have fought wars over, literally wars. Christians have killed each other for certain doctrines that they believe in. But we're not going to do that to each other. We're not going to consume one another. On the, on the, the scale of, of theological triage, this one's really low, people. So if you, don't, if you don't agree with me, not a big deal. I'll see you next Sunday. We'll talk about it, okay? All right, but here's where I land. No, that's not what James is talking about. James is talking about a specific type of behavior. This behavior he was seeing, I already described it to you. You know, he's, he's in a congregation, and he's seeing people talk, and he's just maybe, I'm just imagining James, uh, uh, like he's observing them, and he's seeing these oaths being taken, which has always bothered him because he knows it's untruthful. And now he sees his brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're doing the exact same thing, and he knows, and we know that we're supposed to be different than the world, people. Those things that mark the world should not mark us. We're marked by the Holy Spirit. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're marked by King Jesus himself. We're a child of God. I'm a child of God, sons and daughters of God. And so this is what I believe that James was talking about, this certain behavior that he was observing that he didn't want. He, he knows that God didn't want it in his church. 
his church. And here's how I, here's how I came to that conclusion. In Romans chapter 9, verse 1, this is Paul speaking. Paul said, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. You see what Paul just did there? He brought Holy Spirit, which is God, into his promise. He swore by the Holy Spirit. He, this, he is that serious about this. And he knew this. Believe me, this was, Paul grew up in the same time period. He knew what he was doing here. He knew that he was, he was standing for something. That he, it, when, By mentioning Holy Spirit, he's mentioning God. And bringing God into what you're promising is a big, big deal. Right? He does this elsewhere. He does it in 2 Corinthians 1.23, Galatians 1.20, and Philippians 1.8. So it's not just a one-time thing. Paul brings God into his promise. He brings God into his promise. But here's another thing. Yahweh himself, God, Yahweh gave an oath. He took an oath. In Genesis 22.16, God takes an oath. This oath leads to our our blessing that we now receive because he's blessing Abraham and he's blessing the nations through, through Abraham's seed, which is the Messiah, the Mashiach, which is King Jesus, which who is our Savior, right? And so God takes an oath in, in Genesis 22, 16. But guess, who he, guess what, who he swears by? He doesn't swear by heaven. He doesn't swear by earth. Why? He created both those things. He created everything. Through, by, Jesus created all things. All things were created through him, by him, and for him. That's what Colossians tells us. And so, I mean, he could have swore by those things, but it would have been meaningless. So he, what does he swear by? He swears by his own name. He swears on himself. And so I don't think, and that was just a little sidetrack, a little, I, I know that question's out there, and I want to kind of think about those questions before we talk and, and, and kind of hit that home. Um, but again, if you land on the other side, so what? I'll see you next Sunday. We'll talk about it. So James was addressing this common practice of the culture. They knew, half the time, they knew that they weren't going to fulfill that obligation. They were just swearing to sound good in front of an audience or in front of the person. They were operating in that spirit of fear we were talking about. But we cannot be doing this. Why? Because it affects our witness. It affects what people think. If, if, think about it. If, people, if you thought I was un, untruthful and I'm standing up here, would you listen to anything I'm saying? Now, that's why I get so nervous. I want to write, not because of you, but because I want to rightly handle the word of God. I never want to be a liar, especially with this in my hand. It's a big deal for me. So just know that. This is a big deal for me. And so we are supposed to be known as a truthful people because we ultimately have the good news for all. And the good news is, is that Jesus, the God-man, was born of a virgin. He died, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again. He resurrected not only just rose again, he resurrected something different, something that we're going to look like when he comes back for us, right? We're telling people that, but just in a word, from worldly years, that sounds pretty out there, doesn't it? But it's not a blind faith. We have historical evidence to back it up, archaeological, archaeological evidence to back it up. We have our experience to back it up, but we also have God's truth, which stands up, stands the test of time. Thank God for his word. I'm so thankful for his word. So that's, that's the point, is, is we are meant to witness to others to fulfill that great commission that we talked about at the beginning, and how are we going to get people to believe us if we go around sounding like the rest of the world, not being truthful with our obligations, taking oaths. But let our yes be yes, and let our no be no. Say what you do, 
Do what you say and repent when you don't. Brings me to my third point. Taking oaths leads us to discipline. Taking oaths leads us to discipline. Continuing on in our verse here, it says, so that you may not fall under condemnation. The word here for condemnation is the word krisis in, in Greek, krisis. And it's used 47 other times in the New Testament, pretty common word. Um, it's used for judgment, trial, punishment, or condemnation. Now, what probably is in the, in the question in most of y'all's mind is, I thought Romans 8.1 tells us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Right? It's God's word. It tells us that. And you're right. But guess what? When you take oaths, you're stepping out of God's grace. You're doing what he has commanded you not to do. And therefore, he's going to allow condemnation, judgment into your life to bring you back. It's a different kind of condemnation. This is not the final judgment we're talking about. This is the, this is the discipline of a father to a child. This is because he loves you. This is his compassion, his mercy. He doesn't want to see you over there being untruthful because you won't be fruitful. Untruthful leads to unfruitful. We want to be bears, oaks of righteousness, bearing the fruit for Christ, right? But we can't do that if people won't believe what we say. So this, this, I love how it words it. So you may not fall under condemnation, almost like we're setting our own trap, which I believe we are. When we start taking oaths to get people to believe us, operating in a spirit of fear, this is, is where the danger in lies because it's dangerous territory to, to operate in. When we step into that spirit of fear, we need to recognize it. We need to take it captive and we need to get rid of it. Lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, I recognize this fear, Lord, but you didn't give me a spirit of fear. In fact, 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us he gives us a spirit of what? Power in love, in a sound mind. Man, this, I love this verse. He did not give us a spirit of fear. You know, what, what's the opposite of love? It's not hate, it's fear. I believe it's fear. I believe it's fear. The opposite of love is fear, but perfect love casts out all fear. And he didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. See, he requires us to operate in a spirit of love. Jesus does. He requires us to operate in a spirit of love, not in a spirit of fear. So if we step into that fear, we should recognize it and immediately, immediately take that captive. He, he, this crisis that we could fall into, that the trap we laid for ourselves, leads us to a place that is painful. Let's be honest. It's suffering. It's painful to get disciplined. Sometimes it's really painful. It's a decision that we made and we failed and now we're going to have to suffer the consequences. That's God's judgment. He allowed it in our lives to bring us back to where he wants us. But 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32, tells us how to avoid this altogether. And this ties in with what the way I opened this message up today is talking about the prayer closet, talking about bringing those things before the Lord, because that should be part of our daily life, Christian. We should be daily finding alone time with the Lord in prayer. Whether it be a closet or somewhere outdoors, it's somewhere private, just you and God. All right, God, let me, let me review yesterday or today. Um, you know, I, I felt convicted about this. And you bring those things before the Lord and you repent and you keep your sin debt short. That way you give the enemy no foothold in your life. But in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one, gives us a kind of a, a clue on how to do this, an, an application, if you will. Um, just... 
so you know that, that this is a section where Paul is talking about taking communion. Um, but it's, there's a biblical principle here that I want to pull out of it. And I love God's word for that because we, it, it all meshes. It never contradicts. And so if it's a seemingly contradiction is some good study. If you see a contradiction in God's word, find it out. Don't run from it. Find it out. Figure it out because that's some good stuff. If it's strange, it's good. All right. So in, in chapter 11 of verse 31, it says, But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. See, I think a lot of our energy, a lot of our efforts are spent judging others. Man, his hair is really gray. When's he going to shave that mustache? I can't even see his mouth move right now. <laughs> but am I right, though? Like, we, we make judging comments when we, we, inside of our head. We judge others, and, and, and it's just natural. Well, a lot of our efforts are, are spent doing that. When we should turn those efforts around and start judging ourselves, start and I'm not, not about your, how long your mustache is or your hair, but how your actions, how are you being fruitful in your life? What Jesus are you, are you introducing your neighbors to? The one that takes those and is not truthful? Or the one that allows his yes to be yes and his no to be no? Are you introducing your neighbors to Jesus? Anyway, all right. So we should judge ourselves so we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, look, look what it says here. This gives us kind of a clue on how things work. We are disciplined so that we may not be condemned. There's that word again, that creases word, along with the world. So if you're being disciplined right now, you're going through something, and you're being disciplined, that's a good thing. Take it. Say, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me here? I want to learn it. Let's get this over with. Don't pray for it to go away, but pray for strength in that, endurance in that, patience in suffering, right? Patience in suffering. So this specific behavior is something that James wants us to avoid. Jesus tells us to avoid it so that we don't bring ourselves under condemnation. This crisis is meant to bring us back to the path. Bring us back to, to the thing that brings, brings glory to Jesus through our lives. Right? We're supposed to be in a place where we're shining light back to Jesus. As believers... Others in our sphere of influence should regard us as trustworthy. They should, no matter what pressure we, they place on us, right? If we're being pressured for an answer, no matter what situation, no matter what, maybe you're already going through suffering. We need to avoid this, this useless and meaningless oath-taking. Stop operating in a spirit of fear. Stop, start operating in the, in the spirit of love. And that is only done through Jesus Christ, through His blood i got one more uh, passage for you today, um, just a tool for your toolbox. Um, if you want to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, chapter 10. Because really, along with this one specific behavior, what I feel like God is telling us today is that we need to get serious about our prayer life. And these are some things that you could pray for yourself individually. Now, we should be praying for others more than we're praying for ourselves. But these are, things, these are some things to start with. What, how are you doing? What do I need to repent for? Um, and so part of that is taking those thoughts captive immediately before they plant seeds in our lives. That fear seed that, that the enemy just comes in and just speaks something. Or even maybe your flesh comes in. It's not always the enemy. We can't blame everything on Satan. I'm wicked enough as it is. I can't blame everything on Satan. But when that thought comes in, oh, I better say yes. I don't know what they're going to say if I don't say yes. 
No, I take that thought captive right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I recognize this fear, and I lay it at your feet, King Jesus. I want nothing to do with it. I can't do anything about it. I need you as a Savior, just like you took away my alcohol, just like you took away and cleaned up my mouth, just like you did all these things. I didn't do it in my own strength. You did it, King Jesus, and I know you can do it now. See, now we're standing on his name. Now we're standing on his testimony. It's not my own strength that's going to pull myself out of and, and, talk, and start talking trustworthy to, to, my, to my friends, to those around me. No, I'm going to have to ask Jesus for help. I need a Savior in every aspect of my life. I need to be more reliant on him. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, We destroy arguments of every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, I've heard lots of theologians talk about this passage in particular, and there's a lot here, but I, want, I wanted to just give it to you today as a weapon. This is a weapon, right? Uh, if you didn't know, we have, we have an armor we wear, right? We have the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness. We gird our loins with a, bre- with a belt of truth. We shot our feet with the gospel of peace. We take up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. That's our weapon. That's our offensive weapon, right? Prayer and God's Word. And so what I do is, is I keep a, a, a passage like this. If I'm struggling with my thoughts of fear, I'm here to give you some simple application. Write this, write this passage down. Put it on a note card. Keep it in your pocket and pull it out when you need it. So as we finish up, taking oaths comes from a place of pride. Not taking oaths, it shows our trust in the Lord, and taking oaths leads us to discipline. Taking oaths leads us to discipline. And that's not where God wants us. He gives us discipline because he loves us. And so I'm going to pray right now, and I just want you to ask the Lord, is there anything that any time where you bring to ask him, say, bring it to my mind, Lord. Have I been untruthful? Have I taken these oaths? Is there something I need to work on that you're telling me right now, Lord? Did you know he could speak to you right now where you are? He's, his hand is not too short, and he cares that much about you. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.